been here at Prairie View for a year, but I've actually known Tom longer than a year because we have seminary classes together on Tuesday nights, and that started in January of 2013. And when I first met Tom, I was still in the interview process here at Prairie View, and he mentioned that he had worked at Prairie View in the past. And I thought to myself, well, if I'll hire him, I think my chances are pretty good. (laughs) So it gave me some confidence moving forward. But we are glad you've chosen to worship here with us this morning. I want to start off with a quick article I read from January of 2013. This was on Yahoo News. And the title of the article is, Woman Drives 900 Miles Out of Her Way After GPS Error. Put too much faith in technology and you may wind up in Croatia. A 67-year-old woman from Belgium learned that the hard way after she followed faulty directions from her GPS device. The woman only wanted to go about 90 miles from her hometown of Hainault Urquilinus, Belgium, to pick up a friend at the Brussels train station. Her GPS device sent her about 900 miles to the south before, during the second day of driving, she realized that something was amiss. It's unclear if she entered the address incorrectly or if the GPS was faulty. Sabine Moreau, the driver explained, stopped twice for gas, slept on the side of the road, and even suffered a minor car accident along the way. She told one news organization that she wasn't paying attention. I was distracted, so I kept driving. I saw all kinds of traffic signs, first in French, then German, and finally in Croatian, but I kept driving because I was distracted. Suddenly, I appeared in Zagreb, and I realized I wasn't in Belgium anymore. The lesson here, if you start seeing road signs in multiple foreign languages, pull over. You're probably going the wrong way. This sermon series that we're starting this morning is entitled Direction. And the reason we're calling it direction is because sometimes churches, if we don't have signs along the way, we may end up 900 miles away from where we really intended to be and from where God really intends us to be. This whole idea of direction, we're going to be introducing a new mission, vision and values here at Prairie View Christian Church. Now, we have a current mission, we have a current vision, we haven't had values, and there's nothing wrong with our current mission, there's nothing wrong with our current vision. We still 100% buy into those things, we still 100% believe those things, but over the past few months, the elders, myself, a few other leaders, we got to talking, we got to thinking, and we wanted to revisit our mission and our vision and introduce values. We wanted to look at our mission, look at our vision, and kind of make sure it's really 100% focused. Make sure it's stated in a way that's understandable. Make sure it's stated in a way that really emphasizes what matters most to us. So after time of discussion, after looking to scripture for inspiration, after prayer as a group, after wording and then rewording, we wanted to reevaluate where we were. And this mission and vision and values that we're going to be introducing over the next seven weeks, they will kind of serve as road signs. They'll kind of serve as road signs to help us make sure that we're staying on track, that we're focused on our destination. Because if we don't have these road signs directing us on where God wants us to be, what God has called us to do as a church, we may look up one day and realize that we're 900 miles away from where we ever wanted to be. And none of us will have any idea how we got there. This is really about keeping the main thing the main thing. 
Now, when I say mission, if you go to different organizations or different churches, you'll get different explanations of what a mission is and what a vision is and what values are. For our purposes today, mission is what we want to accomplish. It's our end goal. And really, it's what we exist for. It's why we're here. It's what we have been sent to do in this community. Now, as we thought about mission, we wanted something to be scriptural. We wanted it to be understandable. And we wanted it to be memorable. So here is Prairie View Christian Church's new mission statement for the first time. You are the first eyes to lay on, first people to lay eyes on this. The new mission statement is making devoted, maturing, and multiplying followers of Jesus. That is the mission. That is why we're here. That's why we exist. That's the end goal. That's the destination that we want to get to. So for those criteria, is it biblical? Yes, we think it is. It comes from Matthew 28, chapter chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, which we're going to be looking at more in depth today. Is it understandable? I think it is. All of us can look at that passage. We can look at that mission statement, making devoted, maturing, and multiplying followers of Jesus. And I think we can all pretty much understand what it's about. Even someone who's not a Christian could come in and see, okay, well, this is why that church exists. I understand that. We want it to be clear what it is that we're all about. To anyone who picks up a bulletin, to anyone who goes to our website, to anyone who walks into our building, we want them to know and to understand why we exist. And then finally, is it memorable? I think it is. It's only eight words. I mean, it's not a fancy acronym. It may not be rhyming or super catchy like some mission statements are, but it is memorable. And this is something that we really want every single one of us to drill into our minds, making devoted, maturing, and multiplying followers of Jesus. Now that brings us to where we are in our passage. We're going to look at Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. So if you have a Bible with you, open up with me to that passage. We have Bibles scattered throughout the room underneath our chairs. If you don't own a Bible, grab one from the welcome desk and take that home with you today if you don't own one. But before we actually get into our passage, I'm going to get started by praying. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've blessed us with individually for all that you've blessed us with as a church. And God, thank you for the years of Prairie View's history that you've been faithful. This church has been through ups and downs. Some people have come and some people have gone. There's been good times, there's been bad times, but we're still here and we still have a mission. And God, I pray that we can dedicate ourselves to that, that everything we do will contribute to that, that we won't lose direction, we won't lose sight of that end goal, which is making disciples, making followers of Jesus. God, as we look at this passage today, I pray that you will challenge us. I pray that you'll encourage us. I pray that you'll convict us and that we can leave here more ready and more devoted to what it is you've called each and every one of us to be and each and every one of us to do. So God, we love you. We honor you. We thank you for Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to start reading in verse 16. We're going to look at this passage kind of piece by piece to make sure that we really examine every important part of it. So chapter 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
Now, Jesus made it clear earlier in the chapter, after he rose from the dead, he appears to the disciples and he tells them to meet him in the hills of Galilee, that same place where his ministry really got its start. That place would certainly evoke memories for the disciples. And Jesus tells them to meet him there, meet him in the hills of Galilee. But it says that some of the disciples doubted. But what was there to doubt? It wasn't an issue of doubting that it really was Jesus. It wasn't an issue of doubting that he really was back from the dead. That was pretty clear. It wasn't a stunt double. It wasn't a hologram. Jesus didn't pass out on the cross. He didn't go into a coma and miraculously come out of it on his own. He was dead. Now he's alive. And this really is him. That's not the issue of doubt. The issue of doubt, and it's understandably so, the disciples are wondering, well, what does this all mean? Where do we go from here? I mean, we were following this guy, and then we thought he was dead, and now he's back from the dead, and he's wanting us to meet him in the hills? And, and, and what does this look like? What comes next? How does this change things? Jesus gives him the answer. Look at verse 18 of Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and on earth. You know, this passage, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, it's one of the most quoted passages in all of Scripture. It's printed on coffee cups. It's embroidered on Bible covers. It's painted on church signs. There are thousands of churches all across the country and all across the world that will quote this passage today. It will be preached from. It will be looked at up and down, left and right. This is an important passage, and it's understandable that people put so much emphasis on it. But sometimes I think we skip verse 18. We want to get to the mission itself. We want to get to verses 19 and 20. But verse 18 is an incredibly important statement. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is a huge statement, a bold statement, an audacious statement for Jesus to make. It harkens back to passages like Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14. We read in that passage, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." This is a big statement from Jesus. He's hearkening back to this idea of authority and dominion and kingdom that will never have an end. And one might understandably ask, well, who is Jesus to make this kind of statement? What makes him think that he has the authority to say this? Well, the authority is in his resurrection. That's when Jesus is given authority. That's when the authority is shown. That's when the authority is proven. His resurrection meant everything. Paul understood that. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, after this big talk about what Jesus did and how Jesus took the form of a servant and humbled himself to the point of death. Paul says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Jesus has been given all authority on heaven and on earth. His dominion, his power, his kingdom does not end. Jesus is ruling and he is reigning and his resurrection proves that. And here's the beauty of verse 18 when you look at it with verses 19 and 20. The beauty is that as we set out on this mission that God has given us as individual Christians, that God has given Prairie View Christian Church, we know that Jesus, the same Jesus who has all this authority, who has all this power, he's backing us. He's watching over us. He is behind us, protecting us and serving us. And we are blessed to have that kind of security. Because we're not serving just some random teacher. We're not just serving some random, upstart, religious figure. We're serving the God of the universe. We are looking to the mission that he has given us. And we look to this mission with boldness. We look to this mission with confidence because we have nothing to fear in this mission. Now, I've never been to Washington, D.C., but I assume that if you've been there, there's a lot of stuff you're not supposed to touch. There's a lot of people you're probably not supposed to approach. And there's a lot of places you're probably not supposed to go. Because important things happen in Washington, D.C. Now, let's say you went there and you decided that you wanted to see things that you're not supposed to see. You wanted to go places that you're not supposed to go. You wanted to talk to people that you're not supposed to talk to. Well, you'd probably be a little bit scared to do that. Because what if you say the wrong thing? What if you go to the wrong place? What if you touch the wrong historic document? All of a sudden, you could get tackled by Secret Service. And that probably disencourages you from doing those things. But what if you had a card from the president with his signature guaranteed from him and it said that you can touch whatever you want to touch. You can go wherever you want to go. You can talk to whoever you want to talk to and you're okay and you're safe because you have the president's backing and he has authority and he has the power to let you do this. If you had that card on you, you'd probably be a little bit more bold. You'd probably be a little bit more arrogant about walking in wherever you wanted to walk in and talking to whoever you wanted to talk to. And you would probably jokingly touch all the important stuff by looking at the security guards and laughing at them as you touched it. Because you know that you have authority behind you. You know that you have power behind you in that card. In the same way, we know that the same Jesus who has authority and power and a kingdom, he is behind us as we look to verses 19 and 20, as we live out these passages. Pick up in verse 19. We get to the mission itself at this point. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, there are four big action words in this passage, four big commands in this passage. It's kind of a fourfold job. And the first fold is this go. That simple. Go. It means getting outside of our comfort zones, it means getting outside of our walls. It means not expecting people who don't know Christ to just show up on our doorstep. Instead, we bring the gospel to them. We get on the offensive. We take it with us wherever we go to the people who need it most, to the places who need it most. Not just sitting back and holding on to it and maybe considering sharing it if someone approaches us first. No, we go and we bring it with us wherever we go. 
The second part is making disciples of all nations. You know, you notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say we make converts. It doesn't even say we make believers. It says we make disciples. We make followers. Our goal is not to get people to say a one-time prayer. Our goal is not to get people to simply change their cognitive belief system. Our goal is to make disciples, to make followers. You know, at times in the history of the church, we do a disservice to people because we tell them that following Jesus is all perks. We tell them that following Jesus, your life will improve, that things will get better, that you'll be blessed like you've never been blessed before. We do that. We butter things up because we're scared that if we are really honest about what it means to follow Jesus, that might scare people off. We don't want to talk about taking up your cross and following me. We don't want to talk about denying self. We don't want to talk about putting sin to death because we're scared that might scare people off. Yet we do people a disservice when we teach them that following Jesus is just changing your belief system. That's all it is. It's just saying a prayer. Instead, we introduce them to the fullness of what following Jesus is all about. The ups and the downs, the challenges and the perks, all of it. And we invite them to be a part of the story that God is writing. To be a part of this adventure. To be reconciled to the God who created them through Jesus' broken body and shed blood. We don't make converts. We don't simply make believers. We make disciples. And we do it of all nations. We do it to anyone and everyone who will listen. No matter where they've been, no matter where they are right now, no matter what road they're going down in the future, we preach the gospel to them. We share the gospel liberally, making sure that anyone and everyone who comes into contact with us, they hear it. They understand it. They're given that opportunity to follow Jesus because we believe that God can change the hearts of any person that hears the gospel of Christ. We trust in the power of the Spirit. We trust that God can change hearts and change minds, and so we preach the gospel wherever we go to anyone who will hear it. We don't just preach it to those people who are like us. We don't just preach it to those people who have things in common with us. We don't just preach it to people who can support the church financially. We don't just preach it to people who have skills or talents that we could really maybe use around here. We preach it to anyone and everyone who will listen. That's the second command. Now, the third command is baptizing them. I know there are different understandings of baptism and what it means and when it happens and how do you do it, and that's all fine and dandy. But the one thing that we can't really disagree on is that it is a command of Jesus. There are other parts that we can discuss. There are other parts that may be up for debate, but it is a command of Jesus. For those people who want to make disciples, for those churches that are striving to make disciples, we tell people, get baptized. As disciples of Jesus, we get baptized ourselves. There's no way around it. You can't dance around it. There are some parts we can discuss, some parts we can agree to disagree, but we can't disagree it is the command of Jesus. It is part of making disciples, and it is part of being a disciple. So if you haven't done it, I would encourage you, do it. We do it here as much as anyone asks us. We would be thrilled to do it here, to baptize you here. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus, and you just haven't really gotten to that point 
of being baptized yet, I would encourage you to obey, to get baptized. We can do that here, too. And finally, with this whole idea of baptism, an important thing I want to mention, the measuring stick of evangelism, of bringing the gospel to the world around us. It's not how many people come here. It's not how many people we have filling our chairs. The true measure of evangelism is how many people weren't followers of Jesus before, and now they are. It's not just people switching churches. We're not going to turn someone away who's already a Christian. We're not going to turn someone away who is looking for a different church for various reasons. But our main goal of evangelism is not to increase numbers. It's not to get people to leave their current church to come to our church. Evangelism is baptizing new disciples. That needs to be our goal. That's the true measuring stick of whether evangelism is happening or not. Finally, number four, teaching them. You know, there are far too many, too many ministries out there that get people to a point of decision. Get people to a point of saying a prayer to accept Jesus into their hearts. Maybe they even get them to a point of being baptized, but then they're left hanging out to dry. That's all they really seem to care about. Get someone to say a prayer, get someone to get dipped, and then your job is done. But that simply isn't an option, according to the Great Commission. We continue teaching people what it means to follow Jesus. We continue teaching them what obedience is. Our goal is not to just put another notch in our belt of people who said a prayer or raised a hand or filled out a card or got dipped. Our goal is to make disciples, teaching people what it means to follow Jesus in all its beautiful and gracious and glorious entirety. James Montgomery Boyce, say commentator wrote about this passage, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Whenever the church has done this, it has prospered. When it has failed to do this, it has stagnated and dried up. Why? Because discipleship demands evangelism. It is an aspect of our obedience as Christ followers, and Jesus blesses obedience. If we are following Jesus, we will go to others for whom he died. A disobedient church is one that does not evangelize, begins to dry up, or even dies. Let's be obedient Christians. Let's be an obedient church by striving to fulfill this great commission, knowing that Jesus is behind us, knowing that Jesus has been given all authority on heaven and on earth, that he is ruling, that he is reigning, that he has given us this mission, and then we go and we do it. We go, we baptize, we teach, we make disciples, fully devoted, maturing, and multiplying disciples. Now, this third idea that I want to really hit on, verse 20, the last part of verse 20, we read this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, this mission, it can be intimidating. It can be scary. Sharing our faith with people, that's something that a lot of us are kind of intimidated by. It requires vulnerability. It requires us to maybe be able to answer questions. It just makes us uncomfortable at times. But this verse tells us that in this mission, as we bring our faith to the world around us, Jesus is with us every single step of the way. Jesus has given us his word as we go out and make disciples. 
Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit as we go out and make disciples. He's given us one another as we go out and make disciples, to build one another up, to encourage one another, to hold each other accountable. And Jesus has given you a story as we go out and make disciples. Every single follower of Jesus, there's a story of how we came to know Christ. There's a story of how God has changed us, how God has transformed us, how God has worked on us. And we don't share this story to make people so amazed at how horrible we were once and how great we are now. We don't share this story to make people so amazed at the transformation that we have done. We do this to make the transformation that God has done clear. And to make people know that that same transformation that has occurred in us, that is purely by God's grace in spite of myself, that transformation can happen in you too. The Holy Spirit can and will work in you. The last passage I want to look at is John chapter 17, verses 14 through 18. John 17 is this big, long prayer from Jesus. Jesus is getting ready to be arrested. He's praying basically for one last time before he's separated from his disciples. And we read this in verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Each and every one of us, we've been sent into the world. We've been given Jesus' backing. We've been given a mission. We've been given a promise that Jesus is with us every single step of the way. We've been given the tools and God's word and the Holy Spirit and community and our testimonies. Now it's just a question of us going. Are we willing to go? Are we willing to obey Jesus and let him send us? Author Alan Hirsch writes this. The reality is that all Christians are not only called to be missionaries, but have already been sent to the people they are called to reach. Christians who earn a living as teachers, accountants, store clerks, mechanics, plumbers, doctors, whatever, you are a missionary. Every single one of us, we are missionaries. No matter what kind of line of work we're in, no matter what country we live in, No matter whether we have a job or whether we have to raise support, none of that stuff matters. We are missionaries. We have been given a mission, and we have been sent by God. Our church is sent to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all nations. That's why we're here. That's why you're here as a follower of Jesus, to go out on that mission. When you leave here today, you are entering your mission field. When you wake up in the morning and go to work or go to school or go wherever it is that you need to go, you are entering your mission field. When you go across the street to talk to the neighbor while they shovel their driveway tomorrow, you are in your mission field. Every single one of us is a missionary. Jesus has the authority. He has the dominion. He has the kingdom. He is ruling. He is reigning. And his resurrection confirms that. You have been bought with a price, a broken body, shed blood, 
of the God of the universe. And you've been given something to do next. And that's to go out. That's to make disciples. Devoted, maturing, and multiplying disciples. There are going to be steps coming here soon. Over the summer, our church is exploring a couple different opportunities to do outreach. We have books on our welcome desk called Multiply that will help be a really good resource for you as you strive to disciple a friend or a coworker or a family member. We've all been given a mission in some shape, form, or fashion, and we are all missionaries. Let's embark on this journey together. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you for your grace. God, thank you for the mission that you've been given us. Thank you for your son. God, that statement that Jesus has authority, that Jesus has all power on things on the earth and under the earth, things seen and unseen, God, we are humbled by that. We are humbled that you would die for us that you would take the form of a servant, that you would die a criminal's death, even though you were perfect. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your mercy. God, I pray as we read this passage together that every single one of us will be challenged and inspired to go out and to play our part in this mission that you've given us. Every single one of us has a role to play. Every single one of us is a missionary wherever you sent us. God, I pray that we'll embrace that role. God, I know that when we become followers of Jesus early in life, sometimes we are on fire and we want to share the gospel with anyone and everyone who will hear. But then over time, it just kind of fades, just kind of stagnates, just kind of dries up. God, I pray that we won't lose our passion. I pray that our passion to introduce people to you will never fade away. That it'll be a continual fire that just keeps burning. It won't be a flash in the pan. God, you've given us a mission. You've given us the tools. Now it's up to us to go. I pray you'll give us the courage, the boldness, and the willingness to do that. God, we love you. We honor you. We praise you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you don't yet know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to talk to one of our elders. They'll be standing at the sides of the room. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus and you're thinking about baptism. Talk to them about that. Maybe, regardless of where you are, maybe you have a prayer request or a question or just something you need to talk about. Talk to them as well. They'd be happy to do that.